Isaiah chapter 43, I'm reading verses just 18 and 19. It says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you this morning uh, for your presence here, even already manifested as we've worshipped you, as we shared in the Lord's table. And we ask, Lord, that for the remainder of our time together, both in this service and the meeting following, that your presence would continue to minister to us as your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. All of us like to look back, at least from time to time, and reminisce about the past. Even those of you who are younger among us, maybe young adults or older teens, like to do that, I'm sure. Looking back on your younger childhood and special memories of friends and events, that perfect vacation, or a very special Christmas. And those of us who are more mature like to look back on many of those same things as well. On times also when we could do more physically than we're able to now. Amen? On times when our children were smaller and so was our waistline. <laughs> Memories can be a beautiful thing. And throughout scripture, we see God reminding his people over and over again to remember. He calls them to remember. As the children of Israel were about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses, their leader, gave his farewell address to those people that he had led for so many years. And one of the emphases of his words to them was the exhortation to remember. Two examples of this, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Moses said, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. And then in the eighth chapter of Deuteronomy, just another of several examples, Moses says this, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years. And also, be careful <clears throat> that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel's leaders and their prophets exhort the people to remember God and his faithfulness, his provision, his deliverance, his goodness, so many evidences of his covenant with them. And the writers of the New Testament do the same in numerous places. 
They call on the followers of Jesus to remember. And Jesus himself did that very same thing. What we just celebrated a few moments ago, the Lord's table, when he instituted it, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my sacrificial death. So the verse I re- re- verses I read this morning in Isaiah chapter 43, particularly verse 18, stand somewhat in contrast to what so much of the Old Testament says. The verse I read this morning, rather than telling God's people to remember, encourages them to forget. Isaiah's book is a multifaceted prophetic book. Much of what Isaiah spoke pertained to the times in which Isaiah spoke the words that are recorded. Some of it speaks to what lay in store in the immediate future for Israel and for Judah and for other nations. Some of it is messianic prophecy, speaking about Jesus' ministry, his birth, his ministry, and his ultimate reign in the future. And still other parts talk about what will occur in the days that we here today have not yet seen. These verses in Isaiah 43 speak about a time following the exile of the Jews to Babylon, a time when he will call them to return. God speaks about something extraordinary that he's going to do. Some commentaries uh, see it referring to God's bringing his people back, as he did hundreds of years later, out of exile, back to Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah and in the time of Ezra to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And others, particularly as we have been able in this in these past 70 years or so, see this as being fulfilled with the birth of the nation of Israel in 1948. Whether it is one of them or the other or both, and it very well may be, what it is speaking of is the amazing work that God would bring to pass. Bible commentator Matthew Henry in the 18th century explains that the best commentary on these verses from Isaiah 43 are found in Jeremiah 16, 14, and 15, where we read this. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave their fathers. And it's been happening for decades It happened after the exile. God did an extraordinary thing and is doing an extraordinary thing. So the implication here is that God is doing something for his people that will be as significant as the deliverance from Egypt. When he says to remember not the former things here in Isaiah chapter 43, 
nor consider the things of old, he's very likely referring to that deliverance. Does it mean that Israel is to forget altogether what God did in the time of Moses? Is God contradicting himself in the words that Moses spoke to the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy? It does not mean that, and he is not contradicting himself. But Isaiah 43:18 is an exhortation to not live in the experience of the past so much that they miss what God is doing in the present and what he is going to do in the future. It's an exhortation to not live in the experience of the past so much that they'd miss what God is doing in the present or what he is going to do in the future. Fast forward to the New Testament. Two passages that I want to quickly read. One is in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Here we have Jesus encountering three men as he walks along the way. And one says to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another said, follow, or, or to another he said, follow me. But this man said, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. You come and follow me, or proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The replies of these last two men that Jesus encounters seem on the surface legitimate reasons for postponing their following him, but Jesus says, not so. You come and you follow me. Verse 62 says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying that sometimes looking back can keep you from effectively moving forward in the kingdom of God. If you're looking back, you can't see what's ahead. If you're looking back, you can't plow that straight line. If you're looking back, it may keep you from effectively moving forward in the kingdom of God and his plans for you or his plans for his people. Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul wrote this, beginning in verse 3, I'm reading 3 to 9 and then 12 to 14. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, 
that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Skipping down to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All the things that Paul mentions in those verses, except for the persecuting of the church, are things that in the flesh he could look back on with satisfaction. But in order to move forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ, he forgets them. And he goes to the extreme as saying, of saying he counts them as rubbish, as dung. In order to move forward, he forgets what is past. Emmanuel has a long and significant history. There have been many seasons in which God has moved in glorious ways. There have also been very difficult times which we have seen. Yet, God has been faithful through it all. It's altogether good and healthy for us as a body to want to heal from those difficult things that have taken place in the past particularly the past year and a half or so, and that healing is in process. Much of, much of it is done in many hearts. But the question, no doubt, has been in the minds of many of you for some time and verbalized by some of you, what now? What now? Where are we headed? Well, we cannot stay where we have been, and we cannot go back to the past. Though there have been some glory days in Emmanuel's history, some partings of the Red Sea, some outpourings of God's Spirit, this is a new day. Forget the former things, Isaiah said to the people of Israel. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? We heard it last week in a prophetic word at the end of our service. My brother Mike Whalen shared it. Excuse me. Just grabbing my phone because I asked Mike if he would send that to me. And I just wanted to read again the first part of that prophetic word. What you see before you this morning is a new beginning. We ordained three new elders last week. And that is a new part of the new beginning. 
I am giving the church a new sword of my spirit to defend itself and to defeat evil. It's imperative that we heed God's word to us and believe that he's going to lead us through the days ahead into the glorious future that he has planned for Emmanuel. It will look different from the Emmanuel of years going by. And we don't know exactly what it will look like because the vision is still being revealed. It's still unfolding. But it will have the unmistakable fingerprints of God all over it. We believe that. Forget the former things. In the last book, or last chapter of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, which speaks of future things in part, in the ninth and tenth verses, God, speaking through Isaiah to Israel, says this, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord. Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. If I may take the liberty, I'd like to, I know this is the word to, to Israel, but I believe there is present-day application for us and substitute Emmanuel there for Jerusalem. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord. He's promised to do something in this body to us. We've heard it again and again. Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God. As we see it come to pass, as we see it unfold, rejoice with Emmanuel and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. We have been through a period of mourning. We're coming into a period of rejoicing over Emmanuel. We're coming into a period of promise fulfilled. We're coming into a period, we believe, of crossing over the Jordan. It's a new day. We can't stay where we are. We can't go back to the past. As we gather together this week in prayer, and we'll be saying a little more about that in the town hall meeting, we're seeking God's face. We're seeking to hear his voice, to know his will, and to walk in obedience to it. We're inviting all of you, every one of you, and those who are not here, to come and to be here, to pray, to listen for God's voice collectively. It's not just a matter of the leadership coming together to pray and hear his voice. We want to hear from God collectively. We're going to close in prayer at this time.